We talked, we communicate, and I think that's one of the biggest things that's missing from relationships is we're trying to figure someone else out instead of just asking them and listening to the answers. That was Kristen Finch, and she's a life coach and a podcast host, and she is really good at this relationship stuff, which is why I had to have her on the show to talk about it. I followed Kristen for years. I swear we are tuned in to like the same spiritual advisor on the other side or something that gives us our ideas because we are so in tune with our beliefs and the way we teach. What really got me to bring Kristen onto the show was a blog that I read of hers called My Best Marriage Advice That Sucks. And we're talking more about that today. Kristen has had her thoughts featured in the New York Times and Mind Body Green, among other places. She's the podcast host of Show Up and Love. You can learn more about Kristen at kristenfinch.com. But stay tuned to this episode to learn about how you can show up in your relationships better, how you can communicate with those that you love in a more meaningful way. She's full of awesome examples and advice. So stay tuned. Welcome to Here to Thrive. I'm your host, Kate Snowwise. This is a podcast for people who are ready to step up and live a happier life. It's for those of us who are dedicated to understanding ourselves and getting the best that we can out of this thing called life. It's a mix of psychology and modern spiritual thought always with a focus on practical advice so that you can take it back and apply it to your own life. I don't believe we're here to merely survive. I truly believe we're here to thrive. So let's get going. Can you give us a little background on marriage for you and how long you've been married and all the bits in between? Oh gosh, you're going to ask me how long, and I'm terrible with these things. We got married in 2003, so that would be, we just had uh, 15 years. (laughs) We just celebrated 15 years, and all, it's been smooth sailing the entire time. I have this theory that something happens when we make it like official, where we decide, and I think part of it is what we've been taught through society and TV and all, and maybe our own models of what relationships are. And that's that all of a sudden this becomes two becomes one and everyone has to kind of come together and you all of a sudden have to be everything for your partner. And we put so much relationship on the other. And I found that early, early, early in my relationship. So my husband and I have actually known each other since preschool. <laughs> we were both in the founding member of our preschool class. Like it was, we didn't, we didn't know each other very well then, but we knew of each other. <laughs> so, so the connection has been there for pretty much my whole life. We weren't, we didn't know each other. We weren't friends to grade school. We reconnected in high school and we're very, very close. Like there was just such a connection between us, best friends and nothing more than that. He always jokes that he was like my nerdy friend. And, you know, I was always in a relationship with this person named Mike, who we ended up getting engaged. So Dave and I were still 
friends, like best friends through all of this, but I was with someone else. And a few months before our wedding, Mike was killed in a car accident. Yeah. So, um, that kind of threw me for a loop for a long time. I went through this after Mike died for, for a long time, just a really deep and raw grieving period. And I mean, it's got to be expected. You you lose your fiance. I mean, it's, yeah, I'm so sorry. Thank you. Thank you. Um, everything that I knew was basically turned upside down in an instant. And it was about, um, I think really allowing myself to go through that. And a lot of my friends, um, wanted to kind of push me through it, kind of wanted to rush me through it. And, you know, not when are you going to get over this, but we want to see you happy. Yeah. It was really uncomfortable for them. Mm. And except for Dave (laughs) and Dave and I, we started going out for coffee. Like one day I just decided, I was like, all right, I'm ready to just, you know, talk again and just pretend like things are normal. And just so Dave was kind of my safe friend. He's my funniest, the funniest person I know. <laughs> and I knew it would be helpful to, to just laugh. I just wanted to laugh. And that's what Dave and I, that's what we did. And so we started going out for coffee, except he wanted to talk about it. He wanted to talk about Mike and he wanted to talk about how I was feeling. And he would ask me really bold, outright questions where other people would kind of dance around he would ask me like, so what's the, what, what makes you the saddest? When do you feel Mm -hmm. the saddest? And when is it, what are things that you think about that you completely lose it? Like, and so you, and I was like, no one is asking me these things. And it was so freeing to just be able to answer those. Refreshing that someone was just willing to go in there with you and be like, I'm not going to pretend this isn't awful. Right. Yes. It was so so refreshing to be able to talk with someone to that deep dark place where I was like, listen, <laughs> this is like journal stuff. This is only stuff that I talk to my journal about. And I'm saying it to someone and to share that experience was so healing. Mm. And he was able to just hang there with me. And he didn't seem it was interesting at the time. And looking back, hindsight, I know why. But at the time, I was like, he can just be there with me in this conversation. He's not he's not trying to fix it. He's not getting emotional with me, you know, where I felt like I needed with my other friends. A lot of times I needed to protect them almost right from the pain. Yes. I was absolutely protecting them. And with him, I didn't feel like I had to do that. And, um, so we, those conversations just kept happening, kept happening. And one thing led to another. And all of a sudden I'm like, I like him. (laughs) I think, I think there's something more here. And so we started dating officially. We didn't tell anyone because our, everyone we knew was friends. And if it didn't work out, we were like, we don't want. This could have a ripple effect. (laughs) Yes. This will affect many people if we try this and it doesn't work out. So we kept it secret for a little while. And then once we realized like, okay, this is like a thing, told everyone a year later, we were engaged a year after that we were married. And that's kind of when things started (laughs) crumbling around us, like truly weeks after we got married, we started just having a hard time and things just felt really, really different. And I couldn't understand how things 
how we were so connected and so tight before. And now all of a sudden we just couldn't even relate to each other. Like he would, he was so um, different. It just seemed like he had just changed so much. So the first probably three or four years of our marriage were very, very confusing. A lot of um, just kind of battling each other as far as, you know, trying to figure out our roles, trying to figure out what this is supposed to look like. And are you having children at this period as well? Yeah. Kristen? Yeah. Yes. So I, I always, children just relationships are great until you have responsibility. <laughs> I look, I look back at my own marriage and, and I see my friends and that young toddler baby phase working out how to be a parent, to be a spouse. Mm. It's often early on in a marriage. Whoa. That's just, it's so much in there. It's so much. And I think there's this part of being a mom that you just feel like you kind of know. And for me, and I don't know, maybe it's not all moms, but there was like this butting heads with my husband. Like, you don't know. (laughs) You don't know. It is the hardest time ever because I don't think everyone, I didn't fully understand. Like I knew that having a baby would change my life. I had no idea, no idea how it would change everything. My identity, like everything that I knew about myself was changed. So you have that and then you put another person in that and he's like, what's your problem? <laughs> like, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> and I mean, what's was- yours, right? <laughs> yes. Oh yeah. That was my, I'm like, you get to go to work every day. <laughs> you get to have conversations with people. I mean, and then that resentment, that resentment, it just builds and builds and builds. And that's where we ended up. And okay. So kind of back, backstory a little bit. At the time, or before even that, before we had babies, I am a speech pathologist. That was my background in my career. And I work with people who have autism. I worked with children with autism at the time. And I started noticing little things that were similar between things that my kids would do and things that my husband would do. And I just was like, that's so interesting. Like, he really needs to stick to schedules and they really need to stick to schedules, but I didn't put two and two together. And I really also noticed when I would sit down in meetings with the parents that oftentimes the, the dad would be just exactly like my husband, like very black and white, very, let's just get in here. There's no time for chit chat. There's no, you know, it's all business. We're here for this, so that's what we're going to do. And I started kind of seeing these similarities. And one day I was looking for a um, resource for one of my parents who, who I was working with her child. And at this point, I was in early intervention and working with babies from zero to three. And there was a, uh, a child that I was working with that thought perhaps her child was on the autism spectrum or Asperger's, which isn't a thing anymore, but doesn't matter. So I found this resource online. It was called the Aspie quiz. And it was kind of, it was this really random question quiz that I was going through. And as I was reading to see if this would be a good resource for this parent, I was like, oh, holy shit. (laughs) Like, this is my husband. Wait a second. 
I still was like, it's just similar. It's not really, but I, I, I was, I was convinced at this point. You had seen it. You're like, I can't deny having just realized that anymore. Yes, exactly. And so I, <laughs> one day and we were, our marriage was just not good. Like we were basically just surviving together. And so one day it was after I put the kids to bed and I brought him downstairs to the, to like this little office space that we had. And I was like, I want to give you this quiz and I don't want to tell you what it is. I'm not telling you anything about it. I just want you to answer these questions super honestly. And so we started and he thinks I'm giving him like a Cosmo quiz or something. <laughs> He's like, all right. <laughs> like, What's your favorite like summertime song or whatever. So are you inputting into the computer and you're asking him and getting his response? Yes. So okay. he's sitting on the other side. I'm sitting at the desk. I'm asking him these questions. And as I'm asking him, his eyes are getting bigger and bigger. And he's like, what is this? How, does, how did you find these questions? And it was the most random thing. Like, do you, well, there were some that were very specific to Asperger's, which would be like, do you need to stick to a schedule? Do you find sensory experiences can be overwhelming? And then there was these random things like, do you fantasize about making traps? <laughs> I was like, what? And he was like, totally. I was like, wait a second. <laughs> and it's like the engineering thing, right? It's like the figuring out how things work. And so I was like, okay, that I thought it was a misprint. Like I thought it was a mistake, but no. So as we're going through this, so finally I was like, at the end, I tell him, okay, listen, I'm going to hit calculate. And this quiz is designed to tell you if like you might be on the autism spectrum. And he's like, what? <laughs> was he furious? No, he wasn't. No, no. And that's the thing. And, and I have a lot of people who come to me now because what came out of this was a book and all of this stuff. So when people come to me and they're like, how can I get my husband to take the Aspie quiz? Or my, I tried to, and my husband was furious with me. And I think the reason why is because I had worked with these kids with autism and he knew these kids. And to him, this wasn't like, a bad thing. This was just a wiring. This He understood from my work with people with autism and kids with autism is this isn't a bad thing. This is absolutely how your brain is wired. And there's lots of people like this. It's just different. It's not good or bad. It's just different. How interesting. And in some ways can even be an advantage. Oh my gosh. In a million ways. Yes. It's just like my ADHD. I talk about like it's, it can limit me in some ways, but it's also like one of my biggest strengths. Yep. Um, it's the same with this. It's, it's a, just a different way of thinking. And some of our most brilliant minds of all time were most likely autistic, like most. So he's open to the idea. It's not like he's like, what are you doing to me? He's like, well, we already kind of know about this kind of field. So push the button. Yeah. Yeah. Let's see what this says. And it was like, 130 out of 150 it was like yes you know the computer's screaming at us <laughs> and uh so he was like uh so what does this mean and so I said you know what all it means is that I really understand you and I think for me that was what came from the quiz that like taking two ends of a necklace and being like oh Yes. I finally know how to put this together. Like this is truly the missing link. And now, absolutely. absolutely, now I can meet you where you're at. 
Absolutely. And I think that's what the quiz did for me and why I said, say to people all the time, like if your husband or your whoever it is, doesn't want to have this label, I totally get that. But how can you get to know him better? Like take a different quiz, like, or just talk, ask these weird questions. And, and that was what it was for me is that I was so in my head, I was so in my stuff and thinking, I'm right, I'm right, you know, you're wrong, you're wrong. And when I stopped, and when we had this really long random quiz, and he would answer, it was like, I could see, I could see how his brain worked. And and the end of that night was just, it was, we still had a long road to go, and we're still on it. But at that night, I just I smiled and I kissed him on the forehead and I went to bed and I was like, we're going to be fine because I get you. And whether that means we stay together or we don't stay together, like I get you now because we talked, we communicate. And I think that's one of the biggest things that's missing from relationships is we're trying to figure someone else out instead of just asking them and listening to the answers. I don't want to brush over that point. We are all up in our own heads trying to figure people out rather than just being open and present with them and going, tell me so I see it. And then understanding that that's theirs and I have mine. (laughs) Not trying to argue that they're wrong, just recognizing that's their reality. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. So that night was probably one of the most important nights in our marriage for sure of just like I I understood that it was just a wiring difference he wasn't he wasn't purposely making my life miserable (laughs) I was doing it I was looking at the actions he was taking and making them mean something other than just what they were and so he took off and ran with it. Like he was like, all right, now I get like, okay, this explains my life. This explains everything now. And again, it didn't need a label. It just needed, he needed to understand he wasn't the only one. So he started really diving into it and writing about it. And then he ended up writing a book and this book just won't quit. Like it's just, I remember when I first found you over three years ago, I knew that your husband had written a book and I feel like when I was Google searching to get more information to, to talk to you today, I was like, the book's still everywhere. And there aren't, many, there aren't many books that kind of stay buoyant, if you know what I mean. No, and I think it's because in this relationship, and listen, all relationships are very similar to ours, but there is something that's different about this wiring. You know, we call it neurologically mixed, you know, like Asperger's versus neurotypical. And, you know, you put these together and there are some unique differences. And, and in these relationships, pretty much statistically, they don't usually do well. And most of the stuff out there on marriages like ours aren't success stories. So people really, not only did they find themselves, they they found it was relatable to their own lives, but they also really wanted to see someone succeed and see how we did it. And so from that, everyone was like, tell me everything. (laughs) What's your husband's (laughs) book called in case anyone wanted to grab a copy? Sure. It's called the journal of best practices and his, uh, there's a, subtitle to it that I always get wrong so one man this is when she comes in I was like details shmeetails I don't know 
<laughs> Journal Best Practices by David Finch, is, you'll find it. So then he writes the book. Suddenly mm-hmm. your marriage is in some ways under the microscope, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. How does all of this play out? So he has this moment of, okay, oh my gosh, I'm Asperger's. I need to understand this. I want to write about it. I want to go into it more. What's happening in your marriage behind the scenes? How is it changing how you relate to one another? So it's interesting. His book was basically what he did. It was the journal of best practices and each chapter is this little different practice that he, you know, kind of worked on in his way. And so what's interesting is after the book came out, there was a lot of, I got, I got a lot of flack from people saying like, oh, she just, you know, she made him change. And I was like, I'm sorry, I don't have that power. (laughs) I wish I did, but I don't. (laughs) I haven't figured out mind control yet. But um, so he was really working on um, kind of figuring out how to navigate, how to move out of his black and white world. While I was um, also trying, I was learning about him more and I was trying to stay open more and really listening. That's such a big thing. I think that we don't do in relationship is listen to people. When we're listening, we're formulating how I can make what he's saying so that I'm right. When really, if we just listen openly and we can take their perspective. So there was a lot of that going on, a lot of listening, but also a lot of getting out of his business and stepping back into mine, understanding that my own happiness has, I want to say nothing to do with him. <laughs> it's not exactly true because we're still like two people trying to live lives together, but I get to choose and I don't have to let what he does, what he says, what he thinks, how he does things be wrong so that I can be right. Right. And it was really taking ownership of my own role in my life and, and not looking at him as, well, now what are you going to do next to change? How are you going to show up for me? It was, how am I going to show up for me so that I can show up for us? So you started that journey. How am Mm -hmm. I going to choose? So you talk about it. I feel like you talk about it as kind of radical responsibility, right? Mm -hmm. Yes. Was it a flip of a switch where you're like, oh, I can only control me and this is where I have to put my energy or how did this look for you? Yeah. So what's interesting about this is for me, it was there. It's a deep knowing and it's how I've always gone through my life. It's how I've dealt with everything in my life is very much a, okay, that just happened. Now what, what does that mean for me? Where I don't make a lot of story. I don't make a lot of like thoughts that kind of spiral me down. I just don't do that very often. My husband always jokes. He's like, you are missing a gene (laughs) because I, (laughs) because I don't. However, when it came to my marriage and when it came to my body. Those were the two areas in my life and my ADHD, but mostly those two that I kind of got lost along the way. I kind of forgot that deep knowing of don't make this mean more than it is. And so for me, it was sort of like a light was switched on again. It was, it was more of a remembering like, Oh, you know how you dealt with your fiance's death. You know how you dealt with your dad's 
alcoholism. Like you can do the same thing here. It's the exact same thing. You're making it more than what it is. You need to take back your power. You need to take back that ownership of your own life. Mm, take back ownership. That is yeah. just, it's just so huge because I see it in my clients and I know you coach as well. Mm-hmm. Just how many people give their power away? Like just last week I was, I was just using that quote by Eleanor Roosevelt that always sticks with me is yes. that no one can make you feel inferior without your consent. It's really easy to get stuck in that victim script and start living in kind of like a victim mode. But I'm hearing this is what was really changing for you and that yeah. you had been looking out into your marriage, creating these stories and these narratives and trying to attribute meaning, as you said, to every action yeah. your husband did and blowing things up to be way bigger in your own mind than they needed to be. I think one of, this is a story that I've, I've talked about many times before. One of the biggest moments in my, in the marriage where it was me, I was able to zoom out and like, look at it from this, from like above, I was like hovering and I was like, you are a maniac right now. I was, it it was my husband, again, how he does things, right? So it's very important. He has a very specific way he washes his vegetables. <laughs> and I remember one day the kids, they were toddlers, they were hungry, it was lunchtime, and he was washing his broccoli and it was taking forever. And I seriously, like, rage, so much rage, I wanted to physically hurt him. I remember thinking, like, I could kick him in the head right now and it would feel so good I'm so angry like and in that moment I was like it's he's washing broccoli like what (laughs) how is this how is this what's causing this so so much rage it was kind there was several moments like that where I was like I am putting everything on him. All of my responsibility, all of my happiness is I'm giving it to him. I'm handing it to him and saying, you aren't doing it. You aren't making me happy. You aren't making me happy. All right. Yes. Like what you're doing is making me unhappy. And, and, and when you take that ownership and it is, it's radical responsibility. It's radical acceptance. It's just, this is what's happening. And it's not my job to decide if you're right or wrong, that's not my job. My job is to see, okay, this is what happens. And you said something earlier too about, you know, the blame. I think most people, I'll just go ahead and say it. I think almost everybody is kind of lives their life in this victim mode in some way or another, not in, you know, in, the victim word is very triggering, I think for people. And when I say that, I don't mean like, oh, poor me, poor me. It's just handing over your power. It's saying you're responsible, not me. Ownership isn't when you take ownership, this is what I try and explain to my clients when they, when I say you have to own it, you have to own a hundred percent of this relationship of the, all the problems. And it's not because you have to take the blame. It's not about putting fault on anything because again, it's not our job to judge. Right. So I tell them when they're in that but, 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 but it is his fault, but he did say this thing that's very hurtful, but he did do this thing that was wrong. We could line up a hundred people and maybe 99 of them are going to agree with you. Right. So like you, but then what you like now what? Yeah. So then he did the bad thing and you're declared right. So is that what gives you back your power? Is it being right? that pulls you back into power and then you can be happy. 
unfortunately, it just doesn't work that way because you can't line up 100 people and, you know, ask them who's right, who's wrong. But that doesn't facilitate connection between your spouse. Like if you have to make yourself right in the situation, then you're making your spouse wrong. Every and time. that doesn't bring you closer together. No, because who wants to be wrong all the time, right? <laughs> like, I don't feel connected to someone when their sole purpose is trying to prove me wrong and, and vice versa. You know, it, it goes both, both ways. And I think people really do look at, look to blame as a way of taking back their power when something bad happens. A way, it's a way of shifting out of the powerlessness you feel when something happens that's out of your control. And that happens all the time. Almost everything is out of our control. What other people are doing, what other people are saying, you know, what my husband, how my husband washes broccoli, that's not in my control. You know, I can ask him, I can, you know, but he, that's his own thing. And, you know, death, illness, all that's out of our control. And so how do we move to a better alternative than blaming? How do we take our power back? I think it's just owning it. It's just owning a hundred percent of everything that happens to you. We say to you, which is kind of victim talk because I think it's all happening for you. Again, just taking ownership back of everything that happens to you and knowing that you, the power is yours unless you're handing it to someone else, right? The ownership part is, okay, this happened. The ownership of is it, it's without judgment of it being right or wrong. It's just, this is reality. This is what actually happened. The ownership is, this is part of my story. Whatever someone else is doing doesn't have to make it right or wrong. And choices that I made led to this. That's a really hard thing to take. And this is, again, this is not blame right? This is not, I like the way you're making that really clear, right? That we can yeah. own our choices without blaming ourselves. Yeah. And because I think that's, that's the other thing, right? Is we can either blame someone else or then we go the flip side and then turn that blame on ourselves. Blame on ourselves. Yes. Which there's the blame is no, there's no use there. When we go into blame, we shut down, right? Because it's us against them. And like you said earlier, like there's no connection when your job is to, when you, your whole purpose is trying to prove someone wrong so that you can be right. So you can feel your power again. You don't have to do it. It's not even that you don't have to do it that way. You can't do it that way. That's not where your power lies. Your power lies in knowing your worth. And, and it's not about right or wrong or good or bad. It's about acceptance of the story that's happening acceptance of reality and your role in it without can we talk more about that and our and our role in it because you mentioned the choices and owning our own choices can we talk a little bit about owning our own choices yes because when we think that everything that happens when we don't own our choices that puts us straight into victim mode. When we don't own the things, when we think I had to do it that way because he, no, you still had the choice of what to do. Like you can say, I have to go to work, Kristen. I can't just, 
you know, become homeless. No, you can actually, you can actually choose not to go to work tomorrow. You can choose to leave your marriage right now, regardless, but there's consequences. And that's where we kind of take the, that's where the choices come in. That's where more of the choices of the empowered choices come in of, okay, so I hate my job or I'm in a terrible relationship. What are the choices that led me to this? I allowed certain things to happen without putting up boundaries because it was easier. You know, a lot of times that's a big one is like, it was just, it's just easier if I do everything except then resentment builds. You know, I hear this all the time. This is one of the most common things is people say, you know, I shouldn't have to do everything. I was like, but you do because of the choices that you've made up until then. Nobody forced you. Nobody forced you to choose this way. When you own every choice that you have made has led you to right now, that's where you can be empowered. And that's where it's so interesting because I think when people think of owning, they again, it's hard to to dis, um, dis associate it with blame, but it's very much when you step into ownership, that's where you can set loving boundaries and follow through on them. Because when you own everything, you understand that it's no one else's responsibility for anything that happens to you or any, or how you feel. It's all yours. So going back to your broccoli example and just noticing that you are completely enraged to the point that you're like, I honestly just want to like physically hurt you because that would make me feel better right now. Yeah. I'm hearing that the choice isn't going I don't have to have that response. Yeah. Like I can choose a different response and I can choose to let you be you while I do my thing and recognize that you're not wrong. I'm not right. Right. But I also don't have to be super angry about this. Absolutely. And that's what it is, right? So something happens. So it's a situation. He's washing his broccoli. Then a thought happens. And my thought is, he shouldn't be so disrespectful. He sees that I'm trying to get the kids lunch and, and I'm trying to hurry and the kids are crabby and there he is just standing in front of the sink, taking his time, you know, and those, those thoughts lead to me feeling angry, resentful, violent, which is <laughs> like, that's not my normal mode of operation. I don't, I'm not, I'm a pretty happy person. So when you find these feelings, going back to the thoughts, the thoughts of, he shouldn't be doing this. And the thoughts of judgment of, I am letting this thought of him. He is, I think he's controlling my anger right now, but it's my thoughts that are controlling my anger right now. If I change those thoughts, if I change those thoughts, then the feelings change too. What in that situation could you change your thoughts to? And, and I'm assuming you're much better at this now. I am much better. I still slip, (laughs) but usually not that far. If your husband was in the exact same situation today, what would be an alternative thought that you think might be going through your head now? So now one of my, one of my favorite ways to kind of, when I start going there is to just kind of bring some light and some compassion and curiosity into it. Oh, how interesting. Look at how he is washing broccoli. You know, look at, look at, that's how he washes broccoli. That's not how I wash broccoli. It's not wrong. It's not bad. This is just what's happening. And if my thoughts go to, he shouldn't be washing his broccoli like that, I just flip it. Like, 
Yes, he should, because he is. He's washing his broccoli like that. Now, how do I want to feel about this? Do I want to stand here and feel resentful? Do I want to feel angry? No. Okay, so then my thought needs to change. So the thought would become, he's allowed to wash broccoli however he wants. And maybe there's something I can learn in that too, right? Like maybe I could take my time. Maybe I don't have to rush around the kitchen. Maybe the kids will be just fine waiting while he takes his time and and does this amazing, immaculate job of washing his breath. (laughs) (laughs) But like you're saying, like maybe there's a lesson for you to learn. Like maybe I need to slow down. And I love the idea of compassion and curiosity, showing up with compassion and curiosity. Well, what does this mean? And maybe I'm not right. Maybe my rushing, panicked feeling right now, maybe I could slow down. And I think anytime I'm triggered to that, either anger, resentment, or frustration, or whatever it is, I always know, because I've been doing this a long time now, I always know that there is something that I need to learn. There's some reason why it's bothering me, because I mean, really underneath that is, why don't I get to just take my time doing things? Why don't <laughs> I get to take my sweet ass time? And like, yes. it comes back to what you said earlier, because you're making a choice not to. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. That was my choice. This is, I'm, I'm like, my brain feels like it's exploding with excitement. And like, because I think this is just, I can see how this can impact a relationship, right? If you're showing up with compassion and curiosity and those interactions Mm -hmm. that you're having with your husband, and Mm -hmm. I'm assuming he's got better because you have it doing the same. That's what's amazing about it. And I think people are scared to take ownership because they think that means they're going to become like a doormat or something, or they'll just have to just be okay with all of the behaviors. And that's not what it is, right? It's not when you take ownership, that's stepping into your power. And when you step into your power, you you come to everything in a much more loving place, right? Because you're not looking for that external validation. You are fine. You are good in your power. And when I show up like that, I'm not, he doesn't feel my neediness of, you have to make sure that you do everything the way I like it so that I can feel happy. And he shows up the same way. That's what's amazing. I always tell people, I was like, just stop trying to think like, stop trying to make it fair. Stop trying to say like, well, why should I have to be the one doing the work all the time? Do you want to feel happy? Then do the work. You know. Yeah, but recognize it's a choice you're making. It's don't do it with making. resentment and negativity and all those harboring oh. ill feelings. And the thing with compassion and curiosity too is that I think, I don't think he, most people, of course we have some people that just do things just to be cruel, but most of the people out there aren't, they're not, everyone's doing the best they can. Everyone, he's, my husband's not sitting there washing his broccoli thinking like, like make her mad. Yeah. Like, no, that's just not, that's just not what's happening. He's just washing his broccoli. And when we come at it from compassion and curiosity, like, oh, do I really think that he's doing this just to make me mad? No, of course not. It's funny because when I think about my marriage, those first few years of learning how to coexist with another person as we're learning to parent together, those were the toughest years in my marriage. And um, my husband and I have been together for 10 years now. So we've been married for eight. And 
honestly, our marriage gets better and better. And I, mm-hmm. I feel so lucky that I now look over at him and I'm like, I love you so much more than the day we said I do. And this is oh, awesome. Yes. But when I try to explain why I think my connection with my husband has just deepened and got bigger and better over the years, one of the, one of the things is much what you've said here. You've used the words compassion and curiosity, and I love those. And I think anyone listening, if that's your takeaway from today, how can I show up with my spouse and in my marriage with more compassion and curiosity? Yeah. That's exactly what I have done with my husband. And I use the mm-hmm. word empathy of just always mm-hmm. seeking to understand his point of view rather than always looking through my own lens. So I'm just thinking like my husband will sometimes come home from work and, you know, just like all of us, sometimes we'll have a bad day, right? And if he walks in and he's in a funky mood or whatever, rather than immediately bristling, which is what I would have done earlier on in our marriage, I would have bristled. I would have been like, and started snapping at him and decided, and my energy would have gone down the drain with his. Now I seek to understand something's, you know, he doesn't come home most days in a grumpy mood like this. What's going yeah. on? What's going on for him? And yeah. seeking to understand and looking through that lens of curiosity and compassion, it's the one thing that I truly think has brought us closer. So to Absolutely. hear you really just mimic that exact same message, because yeah. I agree, it hasn't made me the doormat. It's made Mm-mm. him respect me even more and do yeah. the same for me. And it's not like I had to say to him, like, I'm going to meet you with compassion and curiosity. <laughs> and right. I'm going to start really trying to be empathetic. I just made that shift and he reciprocated yeah. in kind. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's the thing is when we start showing up and this is when this is like my mantra, like just show up in love, show up in love. Show up and in love. I love that. Doesn't it just, I love so that. so good. And I think when we can do that and when we stop making other people's words or uh, moods make when we stop making their words and moods mean something about us when we step back again stepping back into our own power we can let people live we can let them live their damn lives right we can just show up and love them and then once they're through it like wouldn't that be if you came home in a bad mood wouldn't that be a great way to be greeted with love rather than what's your problem yeah and I you used know? to be the wife that'd be like what's yes. your problem like I don't want Me you too. I don't want you laying your crap on my doorstep now I'm because like, it's oh. uncomfortable because it's uncomfortable we don't like when other people aren't unhappy because that makes maybe we have to be unhappy or it's our fault or you know all of these things when we can step out of that and step into our own power there's none of that Oh, I, people, this is just like power marriage advice right there. I want to ask you some um, of the standard questions I ask everyone, Kristen. Okay, you sure. ready? I'm ready. Are you a morning person or a night person? <laughs> um, I am not just a morning person. I'm an obnoxious morning person. <laughs> <laughs> Can we talk more about, about that? <laughs> because I wake up, I am one of these people like, And it doesn't matter. Like I wake up very early and I am completely at a hundred percent energy, like within two minutes of waking up. And it kind of, 
it goes downhill the rest of the day, but like, I'm so annoying. I'm up and I'm bright and bubbly. And it's so annoying. <laughs> I probably need you in my house, but whoa. No, yeah, no, I'm... my family would disagree. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Can you remember what's currently sitting on your nightstand? Yes. Um, so I keep things, one of the things in this kind of talks about my ADHD. One of the things that I've learned is that um, my environment is incredibly important. So I have very little things. Probably right now I have my lamp and a, the, my book that I'm reading right now. Do you find that the more things you, having ADHD, do you find that the more things you have in the environment, the more that clutters up your mind? A hundred percent. A hundred percent. That is one of the things. And it's funny when people come, they'll come to me, people will come to me for coaching for marriage or for, you know, body image or anything. And one of the first things I typically have them do is start decluttering because I don't, I think everything's energy, right? And so it's all talking to you. And when I, I can't sit down, I can't relax. I can't feel organized if I've got clutter. So a hundred percent, a hundred percent. I know you say ADHD has really taught you that lesson, but I think, like yeah. you said, I think it's across the board. It matters yeah. to all of us. I agree. But do you know what the book you're reading is? Can you remember? Yeah, it's Big Magic by Elizabeth Gilbert. It's a good read. I've probably read it four times already. And it's just one of those ones. I'm kind of in this weird space right now where I don't feel like nothing sounds good. And so I just picked that up. I was like, this book always, I just, I get so much out of this book every time I read it. And so I picked it up again. I was like, oh yeah, it's like a good friend. What is your favorite self-care activity? Okay. So I am big on self-care. It's incredibly important to me and to my entire life. <laughs> but what I've found in my self-care activities, like there are some, there are favorites that like meditation, journaling, salt baths, those sorts of things. But those are the sorts of things that kind of go in waves. And when I listen to what I need at the time, it's like, you need to sit down and meditate. Like that's where you're at right now. And then there'll be waves where it's not that. So honestly, for me, my most important self-care activities are really my kind of daily habits, which, you know, my nighttime routine, I call it my closing ceremony. Oh, I love that you call it your closing ceremony. I was just, um, before we got on this call, I was telling Kristen how I was doing some resilience training in San Francisco on Monday. And I talk about the importance of having those little routines that support us. I'm going to quote you next time I deliver that training as the closing routine that rocks. Because I just call it the, oh, that's right. Sorry, the closing ceremony. I just call it the nighttime routine. But closing ceremony is so much cooler. What, what is yours? I want to know what it is. What I know and what we always hear is that the morning routine is so important and how you start your day is so important to how it goes. And I think what I've discovered is that it really needs to start the night before. And so what I do, my nighting routine is very simple. My closing ceremony, I, my clothes out for the next day. I make sure that my kitchen is clean. I make sure my coffee's ready. I do everything, everything I possibly can the night before because it starts my day feeling fresh. I write my to-do list the night before. I set my intentions the night before. And then I kind of, like I said, my closing ceremony, I go through my wins for the day. And I think it's so important because most of the time, and when I was really in a really dark place, 
I know this. I was, what was going through my head at the end of the day was all of the things I did wrong, all of the things that I didn't do, all of the, the guilt. Like I wasn't a good mom today. I wasn't a good wife today, all of those things. And I think that that's what marinates while I'm sleeping. And then you wake up with that, with that energy. And it's just, it's so toxic. So I think starting, you know, understanding, forgiving yourself for, whatever you feel like you didn't show up for as well as you wanted to that day and just saying, Oh, Hey, that's okay. That day's done. We can, we can do this again tomorrow and, and coming up with the wins, even though I didn't do this, I did this and I did this and I did this. So that's very simple. But changing the internal dialogue dramatically. This is why, this is why I've always felt connected to you. We totally think the same things. All right. Do you have a favorite book? Is it Big Magic that you keep coming back to? Big Magic is one of them, definitely. And a couple other, it's hard to pick a favorite. Return to Love by Marianne Williamson always just feels like a hug. (laughs) Like it's, it's one of those where I just savor and I never even really read it all the way through I just read a little bit of it that but big magic is when I always come back to and probably the book that changed my life was my husband's and it's you know I'll have to say that's one of my favorite books too (laughs) you are allowed to say that okay do you have a favorite life lesson that perhaps you took a long while to learn that one that kind of (laughs) knocked you over the head a few times before you're like oh I get it Yeah, I think it's one I've just, I've just been talking about recently. And it's that we have seasons in our lives. And we have periods of time where we're like completely in flow, and we're creating and we're killing it. And then all of a sudden, that's gone. And you feel and I, I've always been really judgy of myself when I get in those periods of time where I'm like, I just don't feel like doing anything. I don't feel like doing any, I don't feel like being loving, you know, or, or reading about it or learning about it and, or writing about it. I don't feel like any of it. I've gotten good at allowing it and just saying like, okay, well, this is where I am right now, but what I'm still learning. And, and this has been my summer experience. My summer lesson again <laughs> is not trying to rush myself through it. I can allow it and just let it take the time it needs because it will end all of if you know all seasons end all seasons change and it's your body it's your soul knowing what's coming and knowing like trust me girl you need to just stop for a minute because what's coming up you're gonna need all, all of your energy so slow down so that's probably the one rather than yeah. bite the slow down I love it yeah what's yeah. one thing in your day you can't do without um probably coffee no I'm just kidding <laughs> I mine is coffee that's definitely one of the things I can't do without I like wake up and drink my coffee it's so I love can we talk about coffee because oh we can talk I, about, I don't know how you mum without coffee if any of you out there mum without coffee you rock you know what it is and I've realized because there have been times when I have stopped coffee and that I've you know and what it is for me it's like it just feels so good like there's nothing better than a waking up in the morning and just having that quiet time with coffee there's so I do it's like the ritual of it It, it's like coffee is more than a drink because it's like it's warm and the smell the aroma like it's it's an experience it's an experience so yeah yeah, I'm with you on coffee coffee I do love it (laughs) (laughs) how would you describe the soul Kristen love it's just pure love it's it's I think we all come from the same energy source, God, universe, source, whatever you call it. 
and in my head, this is how I've figured it out. <laughs> I think I'm right. <laughs> we'll have to get a we'll have to get a hundred people and and line them up and see if they agree with me. But I I believe that there's this eternal energy source that we the souls come out of, and it's like I visualize it as actual like little balls, you know, that go and they have these experiences, and sometimes they become humans. And I think it's just pure love, and that's what all of this work is to do is to all the layers that we've put on top of it, the thoughts and other people and the control and all of that. I think when you take all of that down, it's the soul and it's just pure love. I, I would agree with you. So I'm one, if I'm one of those hundred Good. people. So there's two of us. Yeah, there's two. Two. Of two. <laughs> so far, hundred percent good. <laughs> what is fulfillment to you? Ah. <sighs> I think fulfillment to me is just being in a moment. That's when I feel the most fulfilled, when I'm not feeling lack or I'm not feeling, you know, that I need to be doing is when I'm just being in a moment, being in gratitude. It's not a external thing. It's just a reconnecting and a being in the moment. I love that. It's not an external thing. So you're saying fulfillment's an internal feeling. Uh That is what I'm saying. (laughs) Yeah. Fulfillment isn't out there. Fulfillment's in here. Absolutely. Absolutely. hundred percent. I've only got one more question for you today. And it's one of those really simple wrap up ones. If you could leave us or the listeners with a thought today, what would it be? Oh, to know that you are worthy to know that you have everything that you need, to know that all of your power lies within you and nothing, nothing at all, nothing anyone does, nothing anyone says, nothing anyone believes about you can change that. It's that deep knowing of I am fine, I am good, I am worthy. The Hard Truths, it's our responsibility to step up and own our reactions to things in life. And if we can do that, oh my gosh, we're setting ourselves up for such a healthier connection with the people we love. Now, if you want to learn more about Kristen, you can head to her website at kristenfinch.com. She does individual coaching, and I have said this to my own girlfriends If I ever needed relationship coaching or thought it would be useful for me to have coaching on my side to talk about how I'm showing up in my relationship, Kristen would be the first person I would be going to. Kristen also has an amazing group called The Lounge. So check her out. Her podcast is Show Up and Love, which you can also find on iTunes. If you've yet to do it, it would mean so much if you could take a couple of seconds to leave a rating or review on iTunes. Hit subscribe if you haven't already because I will be releasing some more episodes over the coming weeks and you don't want to miss them. They're super fun. I appreciate you all showing up and wanting to live the best version of your lives. And until I'm back in your earbuds next week, keep thriving, beautiful people. Keep thriving. Keep thriving.